Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, and I have Aaron Keller here. And for the first time, we're joined by Beth Kenna, Public Information Officer, and she also has a background in fire. And then we have habitat ecologist Lee Turner here. And we've wanted Lee to come in for a while just because he has such a history of habitat restoration within the department. But then it just so happens we've also had this awful fire season so um moving forward what does this look like just with the damage these fires have caused well the let's just start talking about the martin fire which was the fire that started in uh <clears throat> in july uh up in paradise valley north of winnemucca it burned about four hundred and forty thousand acres which is a humongous fire um these kinds of fires are there's nothing in the historical record that tells us a four hundred forty thousand acre fire is is quote okay um one of the really one of the really bad things that happened in the Martin fire is it burned through through territory that hadn't burned in a very very long time um and there were uh I don't remember the exact number I think 26 leks sage grouse leks uh which will equate to thousands and thousands and thousands of sage grouse displaced or killed um I've been out on the fire and found sage grouse eggs burned and lots and lots of feathers um, a lot of mule deer habitat, a lot of non-game wildlife habitat. So all that sagebrush is good for sage, you know, sparrows, Buicks wrens, all kinds of things that are entirely dependent upon sagebrush. Um, you know, just a dreadful fire. And then if you add to the east of it, the South Sugarloaf fire added another 226,000 acres. So really, if you look at the map, that's one large area that's about 600 and almost 700,000 acres. And it's over 100 miles west to east. Um, And it's uh, just enormous and very sad. So this just adds to those. Before the show we were talking about, it's just an ongoing effort, fire restoration. It is. It's it's all the time now. And fire season has gotten a lot longer uh, in recent years. 99 was our first really uh, uh, just off-the-charts year. Those that live out in Elko County will remember that. uh, and since then, we've had many years of just enormous acreage. Uh, if you know Area 6, uh, our, our management area, uh, half of it, maybe 60% of it, has burned in the last 20 years. And some of it has burned three times in the last 20 years. Uh, makes it difficult um, to manage uh, both game and non-game wildlife. Yeah, it seems like every year, you know, at the beginning of summer, we get a fire. And being from Nevada, it's like, oh, okay, fire season's here. Um, I started with the department in 2000, so we've pretty much managed, been managing wildfires and rest, restoring wildfires my whole career. Yeah, it's, that's, and it's become our, you know, probably the thing that takes up the vast majority of my time is, is uh, fire restoration. And it's just, you know, we work on the fire in the year of the fire, and then we continue to work on those fires as time moves on. Um, with with uh, follow-up treatments and seedings and herbicide treatments and a variety of things. Right, and it just happens. I mean, it was kind of coincidence that that we've had this much fire this summer. Um, We wanted to have you on to talk about all the great work that you've done in the last few years. And uh, then, I mean, it just seems like we keep getting hit 
week week after week after week there's something there's all yeah talking about fire you know and last week was the fire in Lamoille canyon in the rubies and that's just a you know one of the gems of nevada and uh, i saw some aerial footage and the fire wasn't nearly as bad as i thought it had been but you know still it, it's you know burning a fire in Lamoille canyon is <laughs> right yeah we is, don't want that canyon no to burn we really don't all, want so. that canyon to burn yeah and i was looking at some of the probably the same footage that you saw and the amount of smoke that was coming out of that canyon was was just pretty amazing crazy and then uh, see some of those, the helicopter footage. It doesn't look as bad as the smoke, but still terrible. Still it's terrible. sad to see yeah. the before and after pictures. Right. I keep seeing those floating yeah. around social media, and it's yeah. just <coughs> really sad. Yeah, it's just yeah. a it's a good reminder to people, you know, to be careful out there. And it's unseasonably dry, and we just got to remember that if we're, if we're outside. Yeah. And, Beth, you worked for a fire department before. So, right. up in, could you give a little background? Yeah, I worked for North Tahoe Fire Protection District up in Tahoe City and was active on wildland fire incidents. And a lot of these fires are human caused. And, um, you know, everybody really can do their part when they're outside to prevent this catastrophic stuff. And right now, everything's unseasonably dry. And until we get that precipitation, it's still going to be an issue. Exactly. And Lee, is it specific, uh, like plant species species that are um, contributing to these these fires? Well, the uh, yes and no. Yes, uh, the short yes. <laughs> cheatgrass <laughs> is is the thing that really contributes to these fires, but it's going to be a little bit longer answer than that. Um, cheatgrass is an annual grass. Everybody that's going to hear this podcast has seen it. You probably have it in or around your yard, um, and it uh, it uh, it's a non-native. And it shows up in disturbed areas, and and <clears throat> um, what'll happen is it'll green up in the fall, typically uh, early spring, get ahead of our native grasses, um, take up a lot of the nutrients. It outcompetes our native grasses. Then it dries out, and it's just amazing fuel. I mean, every fire department, every fireman, every wildland firefighter, structure firefighter—they're all going to tell you that's the worst thing out there. Um, and once it gets burning, you typically have wind, and then you've got you know, a 440,000 acre Martin fire on your hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, other things, I mean, obviously sagebrush, anything that's dry and woody or, or herbaceous, it's going to burn. But cheatgrass is the thing that really gets the fires moving. Is there any prevention we can be doing? Yeah, we, we work on that a lot. There are herbicides that can target cheatgrass. Um, There are pre-emergence and also other, other types of herbicides. And we use those. The problem is at this point we have, Millions and millions and millions of acres in Nevada alone, not not even just looking at across the Great Basin, but in Nevada alone that are dominated or co-dominated by cheatgrass, and there's not enough money anywhere to treat every acre we need to treat. So we have efficient and effective treatments, but the spatial scale of cheatgrass infestation is just, it's just huge. And there's there are other, <clears throat> you know, there can be some, some use with, with uh, uh, domestic uh, cows on targeted grazing if done correctly um, there are a variety of things to, uh, uh, native species and other non-natives that we use to get ahead of cheatgrass uh, you know there are a number of treatments and so we're trying all kinds of different things but uh, the the vast acreage covered by cheatgrass just prevents every I mean, we just can't treat every acre yeah exactly so you guys do I mean you're in charge of prevention, restoration, how much goes into fire restoration alone? Well, last year, uh, 2017 fire season was also fairly big. I, I can't remember the exact acreage. I want to say 1.2 million acres. Um, we're about there now, if not exceeded that already this year. Um, 
we put about $2.3 million of Indow funding into, uh, on top of what BLM, uh, and there weren't many fires in the Forest Service ground. Most of the fires last year were on the Bureau of Land Management or BLM ground. Uh, and I don't recall what their total was, but our contribution was pretty significant. Um, we buy seeds. We <coughs> we manage contracts for aerial and ground application of those seeds. We manage contracts for aerial and ground application of herbicides. So we work hand-in-hand hand with BLM and private landowners um, to affect the best treatments we can put on the ground. So about $2.3 million last year. Uh, a lot of that came from our sportsmen's groups, uh, Nevada Bighorns Unlimited. I'm not going to be able to name them all. Wild Turkey Foundation, uh, Carson Valley Chucker Club. Uh, I'm sorry I'm going to leave people out because I don't have the card right in front of me. But, uh, you know, our sportsmen's groups are enormously important. Uh, when they give me a dollar, I can turn it into four by leveraging those funds against grants um, that require some kind of a match. So that's how we're able to take you know, four or five or six hundred thousand dollars of contributions and turn it into two point three million uh, and get every dollar that we can on the ground. <coughs> so it really is a group effort. All oh, these agencies absolutely. coming together. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't we couldn't do no, it. No, we, we have to work with the it doesn't make any sense for us not to work hand in hand with the BLM on there. I mean, we start the minute the fire starts, we're our biologists are working with the BLM on you know, what are we going to do? Um, uh, we're working with the to some extent, our, our sage grouse information is used in the in the actual firefighting, but then we're in the BLM office and they're in our offices for all the plans post fire. And could you walk us through the process exactly of fire restoration? What? I have no knowledge on it, so I don't even. So if you're, it. let's just look at a, a fire like the Martin and the Winnemucca BLM. What has to happen is. Once the fire is, and I can't remember the exact, I think it's 100% contained. It doesn't mean that the fire's out, but it means it's contained and they're working on mopping it up. The BLM has, <laughs> it's about seven working days to get a plan. It's, I mean, it is an incredibly short period of time. So they wow. have people that are just on it. Um, and on 440,000 acres, trying to come up with a good plan requires a lot of people to get out there and understand something about the what vegetation was there to begin with, what do we want to have come back, you know, how can we best do this, and they submit uh, their plan to the Washington office, and then I forget what they've gotten for the Martin. I think it's quite a bit of money. I want to say $20 million, but I can't remember if that's correct. We're going to be putting in money. So then we would identify what species we want to seed and work with the BLM on that, and we'll put our funding. We go through the BLM process and buy seeds uh, through our Division of Forestry, uh, and also through the BLM process, we buy different species. What we try to do, and this is going to get a little esoteric, but we, if we have an ecological site in the Martin Fire, we try to find seeds from a place that is exactly like that ecological site. Same soil, same slope, aspect, precip. So we're matching the seed source to the place the seed is going to go, and that's really critical. You can't just plant anything out there and expect it to grow. Everybody knows Nevada's dry. Um, so if you're getting seeds from Canada, good luck. Mm -hmm. um, right. it, it rains there. Um, uh, and then we will either we will either do the contracting with somebody like, you know, a, a, a Morris Ag Air uh, will do a lot of the seed application for us from the air. We've got several farmers that uh, uh, will do, it looks like a big drilling operation you'd see out in the wheat fields of Kansas. Mm -hmm. Right across the landscape on where we've got flat, non-rocky terrain, the tractors work really well. Um, you know, and then we do post-treatment uh, uh, monitoring in the coming years. I have crews that go out and measure what, it, what grew back. Were we successful? How did we deviate from success? How can we get back on the right track?
you know, those kinds of things. Does that kind of answer your... No, that definitely does. No, I just yeah. wanted, like, a just quick overview. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, well, that was quick enough. I have a PhD. I can't be quick. <laughs> you know what? You did it in a few, we have a timer here. You did it in two minutes. That's <laughs> as quick as you can explain. Yeah. yeah. Really? No, it's a I, huge, mean, I know yeah. that's a hard question. Summarize. It's a lot. Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> it's is. also kind of interesting, too, because actually on the fire assignments within the incident command post, they'll have the weed washing stations. So those resources that are coming from out of state and different areas, they're not tracking those seeds potentially into that area. Which is great. Uh, again, I'll use the Martin Fire as an example. Uh, in Paradise Valley, there's another annual grass that's shown up called Medusa Head, and it's got potential to be way worse than cheatgrass. So if you have a fire vehicle that drove through Medusa Head in Paradise and doesn't get washed and it goes out to that fire in the Rubies, that's bad. Right. I mean, because they've just become a vector for you know, a terrible, terrible plant to get transferred. So that's good to know. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about kind of just the devastation fires cause, but when we get back from the break, we are running out of time here. I want to talk about just habitat restoration sure. in general and how these projects have worked and the success of them. So we will be right back after this short break. Oh, this You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we have habitat ecologist Lee Turner and public information officer Beth Kenna. And we've been talking about fires. And during the break, we were saying fire isn't all bad. Lee, do you want to touch on that? Yeah, I, I kind of just wanted to make the point that, you know, a 440,000 acre fire is bad. We, we don't have anything in the historical record that tells us that's a normal uh, uh, event. Um, mm -hmm. What's not bad, though, is that w our landscape does need to burn. And, and clearly fire is uh, part of the history of sagebrush in the mountains and, and everything in the Great Basin. So these systems burn. But it, our problem is we get huge fires, and like I mentioned in Area 6, and I know uh, Sean Espinosa has been on this podcast before, mentioning areas that burn repeatedly in a short period of time never allows us to get back to that sagebrush state, which would be sort of the ultimate state that you want to see for both game and non-game wildlife across right. the Great Basin. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the way that, that I view it is, is – we talked about it with Sean is that when it burns year after year, like if it burns three years in a row, it's so hard to get yeah. back to the natural state of having sa a sea of sagebrush. Yeah, then you're just in a cheatgrass cycle, and it, it's going to be really difficult to escape. Uh, north of the Valmy power plant out in the middle of the state is a good example of where that's happened over and over again. Again, it's in area, our management area six, and it's a tough it's a tough spot, and we continue to try, but it's a very difficult place to work because it has burned so many times since '99. Right, and cheatgrass just outcompetes absolutely anything that we're trying to do yeah. out there at that point. Yep. So that's where you get into trying crazy stuff like herbicides, right? And trying to clear out oh, an area to try to get a foothold, right? Right. And can you give an example of a situation where fire might be a good thing, and you could probably give input on this too, Beth? Right. Well, in a lot of uh, forests, 
there's a thick understory and a litter that will carry a fire. And if you have that, it creates a ladder fuel, and then you get these big canopy fires that we see. So if a fire was able to just run around, run along the ground and clear out that understory, we wouldn't see these big canopy fires. So that's an example of it naturally on the landscape. Yeah. And what we've seen happening over the last few months, this summer basically, has been these large canopy devastating fires. super hot fires yeah. that burn just largely I mean, through, huge, largely through sagebrush say. too and, yeah. and pinyon juniper not they're not getting up in a lot of times they're not moving excuse me up into the higher upper montane and and higher forests where they're actually going to do a whole lot of good mm-hmm. all right Sh- uh, sherm swanson's a professor at unr and he always says our f- problem with fire in nevada is we have too much and too little yeah right, and exactly it's a, it's a great statement yeah that's so true. And people can just remember, too, that they can actually practice that fuel reduction around their home by, you know, completing defensible space and preventing their home from being part of a catastrophic event. That's a good point because I don't know if people realize that. Yeah. So that is a good point. Let's move from devastation and fire <laughs> into just all the work you've done in general, sure. just as far as habitat goes. What what kind of work are do we well, have going we, on? We do a lot of different kinds of projects. Um, we work a lot, uh, um, and this, again, it relates to absence of fire, but, but going back about 150, 200 years, what you would have seen across this landscape is a lot less pinyon and juniper vegetation, the conifers that are down low. And <coughs> um, one of the sets of projects we do are a variety of ways to remove, thin, um, back those trees, back up the mountains to give the sagebrush a, a bigger uh, area. So that's a, a one, I'll call it a type of habitat project that we do, the pinyon juniper, I'll call it PJ um, for short, um, um, control. Uh, we do work in uh, a lot of meadows. Um, so, for example, in the Desatoya Mountains uh, up Dalton Canyon, if anybody knows that area, we have started doing a bunch of fencing around some really critical meadows. Um, they have a problem with horses out there in particular, and and so... Uh, um, we put fences up that, that keep that kind of uh, animal off of those meadows, and we see this enormous response. Meadows are really important for, um, uh, uh, in some cases, uh, domestic uh, cattle grazing when it's managed that way, sage grouse, all sorts of birds, deer. I mean, these things are going to be really important, and so we do a lot of work in meadows. We're uh, focusing a lot of effort uh, starting recently on aspen. Uh, Aspen across the entire western United States is in decline. Again, this relates to lack of fire. Uh, uh, Conifers have moved into many aspen stands, and conifers will all compete the aspen, and then you lose your aspen. Aspen are critical for any number of wildlife species, again, both game and non-game. They're hot spots of biodiversity, so we are starting an effort to try to get more work done in aspen. Uh, Upper montane forests, which... You know, if you do any hiking in the shell creeks or the rubies or the jarbage, uh, you're going to get into that uh, limber pine and uh, uh, spruces and firs. And and we want to start trying to do some more habitat-type work in those systems. Again, this relates to game and non-game species. Uh, We do uh, lots of uh, interseeding projects. So we might have an intact sagebrush system that has a uh, depleted understory, so none of the the grasses in the forbs or a lowered amount of the grasses in the forbs that we want to see. So we'll do seedings in those kinds of systems to try to bring back that understory. Um, yeah, that's a, a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. we, we have quite a bit. Of, there are any number of different kinds of, of projects. And, and uh, Aaron wanted me to touch on monitoring. So um, 
prior to doing a project, I have crews of, of kids through the AmeriCorps program uh, and the Great Basin Institute here in uh, Reno that go out and do a suite of measurements. So we set out plots that are going to be treated. We set out plots that are not going to be treated, and we collect data. We try to get two or three years of data prior to our treatments. Then we'll do the treatment, and then we'll revisit those plots you know, a year, two years, three years down the road, and to quantify what did we actually do. So if we cut down conifers, that's an easy one. You can (laughs) can see that in a picture. (laughs) But what you can't necessarily see is did the grass respond by increasing cover from 5% up to 12%, which sounds trivial, but that's incredibly important if you're um, an elk, Um, if you're uh, a sage uh, sage grouse. Um, you know, these, these small changes in the vegetation can become quite important. And if you don't put rigorous measurements down, you, you can't detect that. So I have crews, and I mean, this year I had 20 seasonals, um, and they work in crews of four, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. They do eight days on, six days off. It's great. They go out and camp and have a blast, and they learn a ton about the Great Basin. They learn a ton about wildlife, and boy, do they learn a ton about plants. They have to be able to identify everything they see to species, and they have to be right. Um, and it's, it takes a lot of training and a lot of time, uh, but it's uh, really important um, for us to be able to quantify what we're doing and really tell our story. Um, um, so that's that's kind of the monitoring. Is that? Yeah, yeah. that's that pretty much summed up what I wanted okay. as far as like just trying to, I guess, explain to anybody that's listening is, you know, you're doing project after project after project, and if you don't have something to evaluate, right? Right. If right. you're not doing your homework on the first project, right, you could be doing it wrong all along, sure, and not not have any not set, set yourself up for success later on. And limited funds. I mean, we don't have a ton of money to do a lot of these projects, so we need to know what works the best, uh, what are the best methods, what are the most efficient methods, <coughs> um, and by doing this vegetation monitoring, and and we do monitor soils also. Um, how do we best spend that that next dollar I get? Um, right. You know, are we really doing what we said we're going to do? Are we are we using the money in the most efficient manner? Yeah, it could be um, uh, location. It could be yeah, all kinds of all sort. I mean, any sort of thing to to make it work or not work and right. seed mix to w- whatever you're absolutely. doing. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, monitoring and evaluating your projects is arguably more important than the. Then we're moving on to the next project. Well, I would argue that, but there are <laughs> right. <laughs> there are definitely people it's, who. Well, and yeah. it, it is a difficult thing yeah. to explain. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And at this point, I've got so many years of data that you know I can show. Uh, an, an example would be China Camp project down uh, just uh, outside of the Bodie Hills on the Nevada side. You know, we've got years and years and years of pictures along these same. We take we go to exactly the same points and lay the transects out exactly the same way year after year. So I've got these repeat photography. I've got the data, and I can tell the story. Here's what this this site was like, you know, ten or eleven or twelve years ago. Here's what this site is like now, and I can show you that progression through time, and it's really powerful. You know, this is what we did. This is how we've improved habitat for wildlife, um, uh, and. You know, I can demonstrate that that was a good use of the money, that treatment. Right? Yeah. Uh, Mark Freeze, one of our habitat biologists, he did an Instagram takeover. Shout out to our Instagram. Um, <laughs> and it was crazy. You could definitely see the difference oh, in all yeah, the Yeah, he did some, uh, I like how some it meadow it out photos before and after. That's and probably the Dalton Meadow and yep. the Desert yeah, that I was talking been, yeah. about. 
I think it's going to be funny when Lee is actually a throwback Thursday. Coming uh, up, you know, know. Make him feel old. <laughs> I'm 55, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> some days it doesn't take much. <laughs> so overall, I mean, how are you've talked about it a little bit, but these projects are extremely beneficial to yeah. Nevada wildlife. Could you give some examples of some of the projects that... Yeah, um, I mean, I could go on for a long yeah. time. We've got projects, uh, you know, all across the state um, in everything from, you know, we start out just south of Carson City in the Pine Nuts uh, to the Desatoyas to, uh, you know, all the way over into the Shell Creeks. And, in fact, we've got projects uh, working with uh, Great Basin National Park inside the park on the strawberry fire from a couple years ago. And, um, you know, we're showing... Uh, the the quantified benefits to the to the vegetation and then um you know what i don't i don't do the direct animal measurements um so i don't monitor mule deer response although that is something we're working on Mm -hmm. doing but i mean there's a huge response um from non-game and game wildlife to to these projects exactly Um, it's just cool to hear i just didn't have a lot of knowledge about habitat so this has just been very informative. Habitat's where it's yeah, at. Yeah, Habitat <laughs> is where it's at. So we'll have to get you in here more often to talk yeah, about I, these projects. I find it very interesting, and I probably the biggest thing for me is just because I know how much work goes into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as it's you're bringing up some of these fires that happened in the past and how devastating they were, and you guys are still pounding the dirt. Years later working on them. Years later working on them, making them better, going back, monitoring. I mean, yeah. And I can't, like I just, I just did an elk hunt in the Jarbage Wilderness, um, and we went two for three on our tags on cows with a six mile hike both times back to the car. Um, but you know, I couldn't help the entire time. I'm just looking at these Aspen stands that we're walking through, like we need to be in here doing, so I'm going to go back out there in the spring and <laughs> Is that out. how you see the world now? That's exactly how <laughs> I see the world. I see. Yeah. Fortunately, we saw some cow elk and, and <laughs> yeah, right. um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, we need to, there's just, there's an infinite amount of things that we can be positive projects that we can be moving forward. And if we had a billion dollars, I could spend it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I swear it's amazing that we could, you know, there's a lot of things we can be doing better. Well, we're well, happy to have you guys and our habitat division in general. And yeah, we're, and happy we're, we're definitely happy to have our doing. partners too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just to kind of yeah. drop back to that. I mean, yeah. we couldn't do it without our partners and no. the sportsman's groups and, um, you know, any of the industry that, that kicks down some funds to help. As oh, well. should have so mentioned that both Barrick and Newmont right. mines kicked in money and they, they, I'm fairly certain they will again this year to help with the, uh, some of the fire restoration. So it's yeah. not just our nonprofit sportsman's groups. It's, you know, it's some of the big corporations, too. Yeah, and I think a lot of the groups recognize that it's, you know, it's game, non-game. Right. I mean, habitat is, is the key. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Healthy habitat is going to support all of it. Right. Exactly. Well, we're running out of time, <laughs> but I appreciate both of you guys yeah, being thanks here. thanks for coming and in. Thank you. Know, we need to get both of you in here more often. So be sure to check out more of our podcasts on SoundCloud.com. That's it for Nevada Wild. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.